0: Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammasambhu tasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammasambhu tasa Namo bhagavato arahato sammasambhu tasa Bhūdhāng sanghāng namasamī It's December 23rd, 2023, Saturday night at a and uh, there's the monastic community here, and a fairly small group, so uh, probably a lot of people are getting ready for Christmas, either visiting family or, or maybe with friends, and uh, sometimes Christmas can be this time when I know for myself like a feeling of like uh, loneliness don't experience that so much here but uh, I know before I was in the monastery and it was kind of a kind of a time like oh all these other people are happy and I'm out kind of left by the wayside here so there's kind of a sense of loneliness. I think many people probably share that around the holiday season. And it's, uh, well, everybody else seems happy except me. And, uh, very grateful to have come into contact with the Dhamma teachings, teachings of the Lord Buddha, and to be able to contemplate these things, reflect on these things. And, uh, felt it was a very good, uh, pre-christmas gift to be able to listen to tanajan sake yesterday with a QA tea time QA with tanajan sake very nice so just a I just thought I would give a very short talk very short synopsis of some of the salient points from last night and uh, and sort of just leave it at that and one of the Points was that uh, there was a question about greed, hatred, and delusion. These are these three, what are sometimes called the three root defilements <clears throat> or the three poisons, uh, greed, hatred, delusion, or attraction, aversion, confusion. So that's uh, loba dosa, moha. And uh, then uh, Ajahn making the point that these are actually results. These are actually results, uh, not necessarily causes. They're actually results. And I thought that was a very interesting perspective. And what are these the results of? They're the results of taking this, taking the khandas to be me and mine. So the root, the cause is taking the khandas to be me and mine, and then the result is greed, hatred, and delusion. So I thought that was a very good way to see it. A very useful way to see it Mm -hmm. and then also another point being that a lot of these uh, good qualities like when we feel like we meet a very senior monk who has a lot of metta then that metta doesn't necessarily come from them having developed it as their main practice but it comes as a natural result of no longer taking the khandas as me and mine or the realization of anatav, not self and so that the sense of self having passed away then there is only goodwill, there's only compassion and there's a sense of unshakability because if if the khandas are not me, not mine if this body and mind is not me not mine then how could criticism how could how could I be shaken by criticism? How could I be shaken by any unfortunate circumstances? Mm -hmm. Another question was asked, sort of, uh, have you come up against any big obstacles? And he answered that, uh, well, all of these, anything, nothing has been unsurmountable. Everything has been just something that uh, there's a feeling that one can just accept it, whatever arises. Uh, So there hasn't really been anything that's so difficult that it can't be accepted or can't be endured. And I thought that was a very good way of holding things, way of working with experience as well, that with uh, something like Kanti Bharami, with patience, the cultivation of patience, then there's nothing that's unacceptable. We can actually take things as they come. And whatever life throws at us, we just deal with it as it arises. So whether it's some sort of difficult external circumstance or some sort of internal obstacle, then with patience, we just, we just deal with it. We're able to be with the unpleasant. We're able to deal with things as they arise. Or really the biggest obstacle being laziness or that sense that we start to feel content in the practice and we feel like we don't have to develop ourselves any further and that that's probably the biggest obstacle. Um, Thinking about that theme, I also think there's another obstacle that's quite big, quite dangerous that can arise for us, those of us who have been practicing for a longer period of time. And that's the to become inured to the Dhamma teachings. It's like, well, I, I already know what the Ajans are going to say. I already know what the teachings say about this. You know, I already know what advice I'm going to be given about what I'm going through. I already know what you know what I'm supposed to be doing, but it's still not working. So uh, to become inured to the Dhamma and to have a feeling like, well, this yeah I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what the advice is, but uh you know it's just uh, I don't really care so uh, so that's a danger or a big obstacle as well. Um, <clears throat> so when when we're just cruising and things seem to be okay, but we we could actually develop ourselves further. We have to be careful because the defilements, the things that cause suffering, the causes of suffering in the heart are laying dormant for the time being. And then if we're not careful, they're going to arise in ways that cause obstacles, uh, further obstacles for us in ways we can't predict. And so when things are well, and we've developed ourselves to a certain point where we feel like, yeah, it's good enough, maybe I don't need to go any further. At that point, it's good to really Contemplate the body. Take the body apart. Look. Uh, take. Uh, see what is this body actually made of, and really come back to the kayagata sati, the uh, first foundation of mindfulness of contemplation of the body. Also, death contemplation, because aging is always racing towards us. Death is always racing towards us. We just have a very short window where we're actually healthy, young, feeling, feeling good, feeling energetic. So to not become complacent or not become heedless, we have to actually, as Milarepa says, carve upon our mind stone, the, uh, the idea that death will come at some point. And so to not become heedless to be very, uh, careful in the practice. One, one, way, uh, that we can also, when when we're, say, not sick, we're energetic, we're feeling fairly well, is to actually make use of that opportunity to do do whatever goodness we can also, to cultivate whatever goodness we can. Yeah. Uh, for myself, I'm thinking, uh, I've had these opportunities to do some Tudongs in America, and, and I don't know if all really have that opportunity again. I don't know if my knee, after having surgery on my knee, I don't know if uh, that opportunity will come up again. So that we have a very brief window where we're able to do these things. And uh, this life is actually very, very short. It actually passes very, very quickly. The Buddha even says, he uses these very strong analogies like a flash of lightning, like a bubble, like a lump of foam. It's just passing away very, very quickly. It's just, in the big scheme of things, it's just, this life is just a very, very short blip on the screen of samsara. So to make sure to use the time well, to contemplate what we can, uh, do whatever good we can, For myself, I've been uh, thinking quite a bit about generosity, and particularly in the framework of Dana, Sila, Bhavana, the generosity, virtue, and then mental cultivation or practice and, or self development. And the, uh, it is interesting that Dana, that the Buddha highlights that as really a beginning point or one of the roots of proper practice. And I think it, I really do think that generosity does lead to right meditation, and that generosity is a very, very important route to right meditation. Now, generosity, there's different types of generosity. We can uh, do things in the monastery just because we're assigned to do them, or we can do them because we genuinely want to help out, or we can do them thinking by this or that action that's just something good to do, it's the right thing to do, and we can do things begrudgingly, or we can do things in a very neutral way, just running an automatic, or we can do acts of generosity and look and see what needs to be done and then feel very happy about doing it. And the Buddha said that generosity can be purified in a couple different ways. One way that generosity is purified is that one does an act of generosity towards a worthy recipient in terms of uh, generosity towards noble beings, generosity towards people following virtue, the ultimate level of generosity toward the Arya Sangha or generosity towards people who have, have seen Dhamma, who have realized Dhamma. So that's purified in one way. That's a type of generosity that's purified in one way. And then... There's, there's another way that generosity is purified, and that's when one is happy to do it. That's the other way generosity is purified, is when one is happy to give. So there's a story in the suttas where there is a laywoman who has invited this, the sangha with the Buddha at its head for the meal the next day and she's so happy and so elated to be cooking food for the sangha she actually stays up through the night cooking the meal and so the evening before the buddha detects that this is happening he says and he calls the monks together and gives a dhamma talk and he says monks you should all make note that the purity of generosity is occurring at this moment and what is the purity of generosity is there is this one way that the generosity is purified, there's an act of giving to the noble Sangha, and the other way it's purified is one it's very happy to give, and that this uh, laywoman who is currently preparing a meal for the Sangha has that purity of generosity. And so monks want you to, would like you to make note of that and, and know that this is a very special and a very rare occurrence in the world. For generosity to be purified in this way, there's also the quality of patience, and this is the uh, ultimate level of that. is in the is found in the simile of the saw, where the Buddha says, "Monks, even if someone was savagely sawing your limbs off with a." saw if you give rise to a mind of anger towards that person based on that act of, uh, that horrific act that they were, that horrific act of uh, injustice they were bestowing upon you. Even then, if you were to give rise to a mind of anger, you wouldn't be following my teaching. So there's this very high bar set for anger and patience and the word Kanti, It's actually seen as an antidote, a direct antidote to anger. And, um, if that is the bar of the Buddha's setting, then how much more so can we cultivate these things that what what happens when uh, somebody, you know, chews loudly next to us or smells bad or you know the things that would normally make us angry or somebody is just not quite following the rules in the monastery, what does the mind do with that? A lot of times our anger can be justified, and yet the Buddha is talking about in the simile of the saw. even if somebody is doing you great physical harm, uh, he's really challenging us not to give rise to a mind of anger. How do we do that? How do we do that? It really comes back to reflecting on the khandhas, reflecting on this body as not me, not mine, not myself, as just earth element, water element, fire element, air element. You know That's the way to do it. That's how we do it. So it comes back to those basic practices of just seeing the body and mind as not self. Because if somebody is doing us physical harm we're not going to be able by an act of will to not get angry it's only by seeing that well these things didn't belong to me in the first place anyway and this is just something that happens that this body can come into contact with such things based on just it's just based on it's very nature that it comes into contact with pleasant and unpleasant things Not me, not mine, not myself. Sometimes we don't. It, it'll be hard to know where our practice is at. And uh, there's another teaching which I've always really appreciated in the suttas where um, the Buddha talks about how to know oneself and how to know others. Yeah. And you can only know others by being with them for a long time, not, being, not by being with them for a short time. And then again, you can only really know them if you have discernment, not without discernment. One's virtue can be known through living with them for a long time, not through living with them for a short time. Uh, someone's fortitude can be known when you experience them in unfavorable circumstances, when you experience them in a time of difficulty. How do how do we react? That's when one's fortitude is known. One's wisdom can be known through discourse and conversation with them. And that's after a long time, not after a short time. After much conversation, not after just a little. And then one's wisdom can be known. So there's these various ways to know people. And particularly for me, I like the one about fortitude, that uh, when in adverse conditions arise, adverse circumstances, just these basic things, old age, sickness, death, or some sort of adverse external circumstance, uh, unjust criticism, or betrayal even, when these things happen, uh, that's when our fortitude is known. How do we react to that? How do we hold that? How do we work with that? So sometimes we need those things to happen and those are great blessings. When, when adverse conditions happen, it can be a great blessing to really show us where our practice is at. Uh, this is very important. Dana Sila Bhavana, if we just remember that, you know, just remember that uh, generosity can be pur- purified in two ways. Purity of the recipient, purity of the giver. And also remembering uh, teachings about patience, how kanti—the word kanti—it's an antidote to uh, to anger, and just remembering those few things. We have a lot of uh, food for thought, and we can reflect on these things and consider these things. It can be very helpful for our practice. And the root of all these wholesome things, though, is the uh, seeing the khandhas as. Uh, as not me, not mine. So the root of greed, hatred, and delusion is not seeing the khandas, as not me, not mine. So taking taking them to be me and mine and then greed, hatred, and delusion results from that. So some of these reflections and I don't want to say too much because sometimes less is more in terms of the teachings and we can just remember these basic things and use that as a guide, as guidelines, as a framework for our practice. So... uh, Yeah, much gratitude to Tanajan sake for the Q&A session yesterday and um, I think that's probably enough for this evening. I'll leave it there.